The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Scripture reading this morning is on page 805 if you're using the Bible underneath your chair. It's from Luke 2, beginning in verse 6 through verse 12. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Luke 2, starting in verse 6. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, As you just heard, we are trucking right along in our Advent series. Again, as we mentioned last week, uh, a traditional way of approaching the Advent season is approaching those four Sundays leading up to Christmas Eve. Um, just in the language of hope. Uh, That is a theme that you see in the Christmas story. We looked at that the first week of Advent. Last week, we looked at the idea of faith. This morning, we're looking at joy. That's why we had several songs about joy. Our liturgy was about joy. Our sermon this morning is going to be approaching this this topic of good news of great joy. And then next week will will be peace. Uh, Just to give you a heads up of where we are going, that'll run us through uh, the end of the year. Pastor Charles will preach our end of the year sermon, and then the beginning of the year, we'll hit pause and we'll touch on the topics that we typically do at the beginning of the year. We'll look at the Word of God, we'll look at prayer, and then we'll touch on the topic of the sanctity of life. Then we'll circle back around into the book of Psalms. If you remember, we've just been sort of picking up little chunks of Psalms here and there. It'd be sort of cool if by the end of my pastoral ministry, whenever God has that in store, that we could uh, say we've preached all 150 chapters of Psalms. We're going to eat it like an elephant one bite at a time. Um, For those of you who prefer the theologian Johnny Cash, one piece at a time, we'll uh, we'll tackle Psalms. And then uh, I'm pretty sure the Lord is leading us into the book of Leviticus, okay? All God's people let out an utterable groan because you're like, oh Lord, Leviticus. I'm doing this for a reason, okay? Uh, mainly because by the time we hit Leviticus and stride, it's usually about the time most of us, if we start off our Bible reading plan, will be bumping into Leviticus in 2022. And most of us know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Leviticus is the missile that sinks our Bible reading plan year after year. So my hope is that by preaching through it, we'll be able to uh, encourage you to keep going on. But part of it is this. You've been given the New Testament key already to be able to go back and see Jesus in Leviticus. And what is that New Testament key? The book of Hebrews. Hebrews is the most Old Testament of the New Testament books and basically just lives and finds its source and its sustenance out of the book of Leviticus. 
So we're going to go back to Leviticus now with our Hebrew, Jesus is better eyes, and go at a high level. I'm not going to nuke us with 26 weeks of Leviticus. We're going to eat, eat some pretty big chunks of how do we see Jesus in a book that most of us are pretty sure we can't see Jesus in, okay? So I would appreciate prayer for that. This is going to be a challenge for your pastor to preach that. It might be a challenge for some of us to uh, work through. Um, if you haven't read Leviticus in a while, go read it and be reminded of why uh, most of us either sink our Bible reading plan in Leviticus or just straight up skip the book and jump right on down the line into things like Numbers and Deuteronomy. So, so I'd appreciate your prayer for that. So let's rewind back to today. Here we are, Luke chapter 2, where we're going to look at the joy of seeing. You're going to hear the angels talk about good news of great joy. And that's our sermon title this morning. Main idea is just simply going to be this, that the good news of great joy is this, that the Bethlehem baby at the center of Christmas is Savior, He is Christ, and He is Lord. That is the proclamation made by the angels. And my hope, again, is the same as last week, that these common titles describing who Christ is would not just roll off us like water off a duck's back, but that the Holy Spirit would cause these realities to land on us fresh this morning, okay? I'm going to pray along those lines, then we'll dive into our text, okay? So let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. And sometimes during this Christmas season, one of the last things we see is just how desperately we need you, how desperately we need the Bethlehem baby, the cosmic Christ in that cradle, the incarnate Son of God, cloaked in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. We can just eject that for some reason through the busyness of the season, Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would do what you love to do, which is arrest our hearts, arrest our minds, giving us eyes to see our need for Jesus, giving us ears to hear the Word of God clearly this morning so that we might walk out of here revived by the preaching of the Word of God. Lord, I adopt the words of Samuel right now and putting them in not only in my mouth but the mouths of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. It's in the name of our mighty Savior, Christ and Lord, I pray. Amen. Well, when you approach the Christmas story, I think of all, of all the amazing details and circumstances and events that surround the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would argue the premier detail at the top of the list is this detail, that in the fullness of time, the long-awaited, the long-promised Messiah has finally come when you peek over the crib and look in upon the baby there in Bethlehem. On the night that Christ was born, his birth signified something. And it signified that God's gospel invasion had finally began. For with the birth of the Bethlehem baby, God was good newsing his creation through the sending of the Son. And when news is good, 
joy is meant to be great. So just like when you've received good news in your life and upon the receiving of that good news, it landed on you in such a way where it caused your soul to erupt with joy, so the same is meant for us as we receive the good news once again that the Bethlehem baby is Savior, that he is Christ, and he is Lord. This good newsing of the angels is the good news of God, and it's meant to land on us and kick up not great fear, but great joy is what the angels are going to say. You see, if you wanted to encapsulate all of this in a phrase, what we could say is this. The gospel of Christmas is the gospel of unspeakable joy. If you wanted to translate the word gospel into good news, which is what the word gospel means, you could put it this way. The good news of Christmas is the good news of unspeakable joy. For on that first Noel, we witness... Point number one, a good news birth. We witness a good news birth. This is what is being talked about in verses 6 and 7. As our brother in Christ, is Luke, is carried along by the Holy Spirit, he records the words uh, for us here in verses 6 and 7 about the birth of Christ. Look in your Bible, starting in verse 6, and notice what Luke says. He says this, And while they were there, they being the shepherds, or while they, being Joseph and Mary, were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You see, when I read these verses, verses 6 and 7, here in Luke's account, what consistently amazes me is how Luke communicates the birth of the incarnate Son of God with such economy of words. I mean, there's not a lot going on here. Mary's pregnant, same kind for having a baby, and she had a baby. Period. Boop. And he just moves on down the line. And if you're not careful, what you can do is we just get so caught up into the monotony of having heard this story yet again. Right, I hear this, and my mind goes to Linus on the stage holding the blanket, giving the Luke 2 story from the, the Charlie Brown Christmas episode. Right? These are the verses. That he, it's, just, it's just sort of part of the cultural air we breathe. And if we're not careful, we can read words like 6 and 7 of, well, of course it came time for her to give birth. That's what happens when women are pregnant, and of course she gave birth. And she gave birth to a son. Well, that's great. And she did what moms do, wrapped them in swaddling cloths. She did what she, moms do. She lays them down somewhere so that they can rest. And like, it's just, we can just read it and be like, okay, what's next? And move on down the line. But what we need to recognize is that while Luke notes that there's nothing striking about this birth, he says there's no pageantry that took place, no ticker tape parade started raining down there in the inn, no fanfare of a royal welcome. He says to us, guys, what you need to know, there's just absolutely nothing remarkable about this birth other than just how unremarkable this birth was. Mary experienced real childbirth in that moment. Mary endured the pangs of pain that come along with a mother giving birth to a child. 
She would have known the contractions. She would have been working out the timing. There eventually would have come time for her to begin to push. All these things would have been felt by Mary. Why? Because this is just a birth like all other births in that sense. As her baby left her womb and entered our world, the blood and the tears would have been as tangible as you know them to be from your very own experience. In this sense, there's just nothing, nothing remarkable about the birth of Jesus. But for as unremarkable as this birth was when seen with human eyes, everything changes when we view this birth with heaven's eyes. For what has been revealed to us through the Scriptures is that this swaddled firstborn Son is actually the incarnate Son of God. He is the creator of the universe through whom all things were made. He's the maker of heaven and earth who upholds the universe by the word of His power. The divine Son without whose constant care and guidance all of molecular reality would fall apart. In that cradle, on that first Christmas, lay the image of the invisible God in whom the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He is Jesse's root. He is Jeremiah's righteous branch. He is David's shepherd and Malachi's son of righteousness. He is the Word made flesh, dwelling among men, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the supreme ruler of all that lives. He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the only begotten Son. He's the radiance of the Father's glory, the Holy, Holy, Holy One. This baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger, is the all-knowing, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-glorious Son of God. And with His birth, the High King of Heaven invaded our time and space. His good news nativity, it ushered in the dawn of redeeming grace. And when we slow down and we allow the weight of what's going on in these two verses, when we allow the glory of what is unfurling before us in these two verses concerning just who exactly is lying in that manger, what we will hear is heaven's invitation to come and worship, to come and behold to come and adore him, to lift up your eyes and see the riches of the all-sufficient king seated on his throne in glory. See his scepter that stretches the expanse of unmeasured space, to hear him who holds all things declare, all things are mine without exception, to see the curiosity of the cosmos as Christ condescends to his most cherished creatures. To see the astonishment of angels as the Almighty advances towards earth. To see the humility of the pre-existent king born of a virgin birth. As the infinite becomes infant and the maker becomes man. I would argue all of that is packed right here into these two verses. Of it came time for Mary to give birth. 
And so she gave birth to her firstborn son. We so often approach that and forget who exactly was lying in the manger. Man, my prayer for us is that God would give us a fresh vision of this lowborn king. That he would stir us with a fresh sense of childlike wonder at the birth of Mary's firstborn son. Friends, my encouragement to you is right now, as you sit here listening to me, that right now what you would do is ask God to do that for you right now. See, some of us just have life happening to us. This has not been a good Christmas. The more appropriate song that you would rather sing this Christmas is not, O come all ye faithful, but O come all ye unfaithful. Like you just felt, you're just feeling unworthy. Feeling like things have just haven't been going the way you want to go. Sin is where it's head. Temptation is where it's head. Death is knocking at the door. It just hasn't has it been all high fives and puppy dogs and mistletoe and, and all these sorts of Christmassy things that we try to ramrod here? The Christmas story says, does not say this. Forget about all that as though they don't exist and just come and just, you know, cheer yourself up with a little, little shot of Jesus. That's not the Christmas story. The Christmas story says Jesus came because he knows those things are true in your life. He came to do something about those things in your life. He knows that you are enslaved. He knows that sin is real. He knows the destruction of the fall. And so what he did was he cloaked himself in flesh. He humbled himself. He came to earth to be born so that through his death we might live. So that he could bring victory and redemption knowing that we could not do this for ourselves. And sometimes we just forget that in the midst of the rush and the rumble, and the pursuit of all of these things that we attach onto Christmas, and what gets drowned out is the simplicity of the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Have you just stopped in a while and thought about Emmanuel? God with us? Yes, God with us. And my hope is that the Spirit of the living God will press that fresh home to your soul as we consider the joy that comes with Christmas. You see, joy, this is the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is conditions-based. I will be happy if this good thing happens to me. I'm sad if this good thing does not happen to me. Biblical joy is tasted and seen in the mountaintop highs, and biblical joy can be known and tasted in the Death Valley lows because biblical joy is not rooted and grounded in our conditions and circumstances. Biblical joy is rooted in who? The Bethlehem baby who was born in that manger, who was born to die so that through his death we might live. Friends, that is a gospel of Christmas, yes? 
Because as you are going through your days, you guys are experiencing some highs. You're experiencing some lows. And my aim is to try to come as your pastor and to shepherd us a little bit by just lifting our eyes and saying, not that these circumstances don't matter. Treat them like they don't, they don't understand, like Jesus doesn't understand them or Jesus doesn't want anything to do with them. But to say, in the midst of all of these things, let God the Spirit lift your head and to set your gaze upon him who is the lowborn king, because as you rest your foundation on him, your joy can be good, full, true, experienced, known, felt, because it's resting on a foundation that will not crumble in the highs or in the lows. Amen? All right. Let the Father ask him to wow you with this. Some of us, we've heard the Christmas story anymore. So often, we, we, we barely stifle a yawn anymore concerning the Christmas story. I'm asking that God the Spirit would not allow us to go, oh, 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 I wish the pastor would stop talking about this stuff. But instead, that God the Spirit would come and make us go, wow. He would wow us with the good news birth that we just read about in these two verses. So as we move and ask the Father to wow us, I'm asking him to wow us, in essence, with the gospel of great joy, the good news of great joy that the angel pronounces as you roll on through the remaining verses. The, wow us with the gospel of great joy, just like he did for the shepherds. So think about that. That's what the shepherds were on the receiving end, wasn't it? The gospel of the angels was the gospel of great joy. Look at your Bible starting in verse 8. Luke continues and says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. I mean, this is classic Christmas story. Here it is. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, appeared to the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. Man, we blow past that way too quick. The glory of of the eternal God manifested in the midnight sky. See, we've seen too many fireworks shows, and we've seen too many cities as we've flown over them in the night to look down and to see a nightscape illuminated by lights. We're like 18 centuries before any of this kind of stuff shows up, right? So it's midnight. I mean, it's the blackest of nights, and that's just the way night works when you're a shepherd at night. Then all of a sudden, like the most magnificent... <laughs> fireworks display like I, we don't even I, I don't know that we even have the words to describe the manifestation of the glory in real time and space of the eternal living God erupting into a midnight black sky over Bethlehem like that's what's going on right here they're doing what shepherds do at night pitch black trying to make sure the sheep survive and the glory of the lord shows up and shines around them and they were filled with great fear like well obviously right that's not surprising to us but here's what the angel of the lord said to them i know you're filled with great fear but fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all the people. You see, when you get to this part of the Christmas story, everything, everything about this gospel, this good news of great joy just smacks of humility. 
Have you ever considered that? Like all the details point and sort of funnel down into a singular truth. The truth of the humility of the Christ child laying there in that manger. Absent of fanfare that was worthy of the king of kings, instead the lowborn king is laid in an animal's feeding trough. That's humility. Notice that his advent is not heralded in the halls of power, but to shepherds, some of the lowest class of men in Israel at that time. That's just straight up humility. You go down into verse 12, and the signs of swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, they're just not what you would expect for someone so great as the Christ child. That's a sign of humility. But notice that even the announcement made by an angel of the Lord points to a continuing humility that not only began there in the Bethlehem manger, but would be the mark of humility that would describe this Christ up until the day that he would die. The announcement made by the angel points to a continuing humility that would mark the whole pattern of Jesus' life, ultimately leading him to the cross. You see, as we approach the Bethlehem manger and we peek into that crib, what we see is Jesus. Jesus who, the Apostle Paul tells us, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, and here's Christmas, being born... That's Christmas, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. Here's his humility. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Listen, the Christmas cradle points us to Calvary's cross. What you see in the cradle is what would define him until the day he was hanging on that tree on Calvary. The humility of Jesus' birth in a manger foreshadowed the humility of his death as our Messiah. This is what the angel was pronouncing when he appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel told them, listen, fear not. I don't want you to fear what I'm about to say Behold, I am bringing you good news of great joy. As I said a couple minutes ago, it's just, it doesn't take a lot of brain work to see why the shepherds were so stinking scared, why they were filled with great fear. But notice the angel's command. Instead of great fear, they were to be marked by great joy. And the truth that would transform their fear into joy was the good news that they needed to hear from that angel. What I think is interesting is that in the original language, the word behind good news is the word for gospel. So anytime you hear the Bible speak in the language of good news, it's speaking that actual word gospel. It's that gospel idea, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then if you go and you look at the word behind great, where you see great fear and great joy, it's actually the word mega. 
It's where we get the word mega from. It means something that's big, enormous, something that is great. So when you look back at these verses, literally speaking, the angel appears to the mega scared shepherds and says, listen up, I'm gospeling you right now so that your mega fear would transform into mega joy. And the question is, how? The answer is the gospel. This is the power of the gospel. The way we go from fear to joy, the way we go from blindness to sight, the way we go from darkness to light, the way we go from spiritual death to spiritual life, it all centers on the gospel, the good news that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ, who is Lord. This is how you go from fear to joy in darkness to light and spiritual death to spiritual life. You need to be gospeled. You need to hear the gospel. You need to embrace the gospel. You need to come to the gospel. You need to behold the Christ who's at the center of the gospel, looking to him by faith and him alone. Savior, Christ, Lord. Here's the gospel, the angel says. The baby is Savior. And as Savior, what does this mean? This means he's our deliverer. That's what saviors do. They deliver people. They rescue people. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus would save his people from their sin. Brady is going to talk about this on Christmas Eve night. That's why Jesus has the name that he has. Go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, and he's going to say the angel to Joseph, you need to call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sin. And what you're going to learn is what the name Jesus means on our Christmas Eve devotion. He's also Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It took me a long time to figure that one out. I was like, Jonathan Davis, Jesus Christ. He's part of the Christ family. He's like, no, Christ is a title. Christ describes who he is. He's not of the Christ family. He is the Christ. Christ is a word that means anointed one. That's who he is. God had always promised that one day he would send a Savior to end all the Saviors, and this Savior would be the anointed one, the Messiah, who would save his people forever. And you look in the Bethlehem manger, and that's what you find. The anointed one has finally arrived. And then, not only that, not only is the baby Savior, the Deliverer, Christ, the anointed one, but he's also Lord. Lord. The one with sovereign authority over and above all things. He is the one. If you notice this, go and read your New Testament. You see it in the Gospels a lot. The word Lord as a name in the Old Testament, when you see it used primarily, it's primarily attributed to one, one person, Yahweh, the one true living God. And so when you see Lord ascribed to the baby in the manger. What the angel is saying is you're not just looking at someone who's 100% man. You're looking at someone who's also 100% God, fully divine. It's the words of Thomas at the end of the Gospel of John. He missed the whole first appearing of Jesus, right? 
Jesus shows up. Everyone's like, what? And he's like, peace be with you, which I always think is hilarious. It's like, dude, you just freaked us out like, by showing up, and now you're going to drop a peace be with you. That's what Jesus does. And Thomas's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Doubting Thomas, right? Yeah, I don't know. Jesus shows scars, wounds, and it drives Thomas to his knees. And what are the words on the lips of Thomas in that moment? My Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't go, no, man, that ain't me. He receives that adoration and worship because Thomas is proclaiming the truth in that moment. The Savior Christ, Lord of the manger, is the resurrected Lord God that Thomas proclaims there at the end of the Gospel of John. You see, this says the angel, that the baby in the manger who is Savior Christ Lord, this says the angel is good news. It's good news. And this good news is meant to land on you and elicit from you mega joy, great joy. Not just for you, notice, he says there, I bring you good news of great joy. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. Who is the you he's talking to? He's talking to the shepherds there in this moment. But what you need to know is that this good news of great joy is just not for you shepherds, but he says here it is for all the people. That Lord who lays in the manger, he's not going to be stingy with his mercy. This Christ in the cradle, he's not going to be tight-fisted with his salvation. For every rebel who knows themselves to be spiritually bankrupt in need of a Savior, for every sinner enslaved to sin and in need of deliverance, this gospel of great joy is for you, says the angel. This is the good news, the gospel of Christmas. For the divine has become despised and the Christ is crucified. The author of all creation cursed upon the tree that he himself spoke into being. And the Lord of life was laid in the tomb, but the grave could not contain him. And so the Son of Man was raised to life. But the question to ask is why? The why? To draw near, to pierce our greatest fear, to shed satisfying blood on our behalf, to give back the life we were meant to have, to enjoy, to hear, to adore, to taste, and to look with peace upon our Savior's face, and to embrace Him with an undying faith, to interpose all His worthiness into us and serve the most unworthy and undeserving. He is our God, and we are mere men made by Him. We are not like Him, but He loves us and moves among us. The great uncreated and the created no longer separated. Why? Because He is Emmanuel, God with us. That right there, what I just read, and I read the first part of that little song earlier, if you go online and you search for a man named Odd Thomas, and he has a spoken word lyric to these very things. That's what I just read. And the song is called Emmanuel off of an album called Worthy. It's by a group called Beautiful Eulogy, read by a man named Odd Thomas. Friends, here's what you need to know. 
the good news of great joy is that the Bethlehem baby is what? He is Savior, He is Christ, and He is Lord. That is who He is. The question you have to ask yourself is this. Is He mine? Is He yours? See, some of us are unwilling to acknowledge that that, sa- that child in the manger is Savior, Christ, Lord. We just write it off. It's a load of bunk. We don't want anything to do with it. It's good for those religious sort of superstitious people who need sort of a crutch to get through life, and that's just the category of life we live in. And you still need to ask the question, why is he not yours? Have you sought out the evidence to see if what you believe is actually matches with what the Scriptures say. Now, some of us, probably the majority of us that we've bumped into our lives are unwilling to say, no, he's not that. We're very willing to give mental assent, to give this idea. We're willing to tip our hat, so to speak, to this idea of, of course he's Savior, of course he's Christ, of course he's Lord, but then it stops right there. You're willing to go, I acknowledge him. Like just the way I acknowledge Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. I'm willing to acknowledge this baby in the manger is Savior Christ Lord. But it's not just enough to come to the place where you say, ah, yes, that thing out there is true. The question is, how have you responded to the truth? Have you come to the place where you say, I know Jesus is Savior, and I need him to save me? That's why saviors come. Saviors come to save people. And I am one who needed to be saved by him, needs to be saved by him. He is Christ, the anointed one. I'm not looking for anyone else. He is the promised one sent by God to be the Savior to save someone like me. I need this. I need this Lord. I need someone who is fully God and fully man so that he can be the perfect mediator between God and between men to come as the Christ promised of God to save a sinner like me. And if Jesus does not save me, my end will be hell. I need Jesus to save me so that I might know eternal life. The question is, have you come to the place where you've crossed the line of mental ascent to Jesus as Savior Christ Lord, and have you come to the place where you can say, He is my Savior, my Christ, my Lord. See, Christmas is the time for the giving and the getting of gifts. Amen? I mean, crud, I'm looking forward to it. Anyone else? I mean, hello? Christmas? Gifts? Okay, all right. Gift time, y'all. All right, so this is a good time of year. What you can know is this. Today, you could know the best gift that could ever be given to you. And that's just the gift of salvation the gift of good news of great joy. It can move from that gift that just sort of exists out there, and it can move into the realm of the personal gift that you have received. Because Jesus has gone from being that Savior, Christ, Lord out there to my Savior, my Christ, my Lord. What does that look like? It looks like this. It looks like you just confessing, Jesus, I'm a sinner. You don't need to convince me of that one. I'm convinced I'm a sinner. And the promise of the scriptures that we read a couple weeks ago is this. For anyone who comes to Jesus and says, I know myself to be a sinner, and I know if you do not save me, 
I will die and be eternally separated from you. And so the scripture says what you do is you repent. You turn from sin and you turn to the Savior. You turn from sin and you turn to the Christ. You turn from sin, you turn to the Lord. And by faith, we're talking a lot about faith, by faith you say, I'm embracing him as my Savior, embracing him as my Lord, embracing him as my Christ. And you ask, Jesus, please save me. And what you will know on the back end of a prayer as simple as that is a Savior, Christ, and Lord who will, beyond a shadow of a doubt, save you from your sins and welcome you with the arms of the gospel of great joy. Let's pray. Lord, 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 we need you. We need you, Savior. We need you, Lord. We need you, Christ. We need you to save us, to rule and reign over us. We are rebels at heart. We don't want to submit to a Savior because we stubbornly say, I don't need anyone to save me. Thank you very much. I will save myself. Lord, crush the sin of pride. We will stubbornly, pridefully say, I don't need no Christ. I don't need no promised one to lean on. I'll be my own Lord, thank you. I'll be the captain of my own ship, captain of my own destiny, my own fate. I don't need anyone to lord over me. Lord, crush the stubborn pride that keeps us from you. And would you fan into flame a heart and a mind among us to embrace Christ, to embrace him as the Savior and Lord we need. Lord, would you bring salvation this morning to those here who need salvation, who need to be saved. Lord, would you fan into a flame a freshness, a fresh embrace of this Christ as we anchor the good news of great joy on him who is the only foundation of great joy, and that is Jesus himself. Lord, do this for your name's sake so that you might receive the glory you are worthy to receive. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.